Good afternoon. On today's episode, I'm joined by Audrey. Audrey experienced without warning a mental and physical breakdown at work one day. She gives an extremely open and honest account of what it was like and how it impacted on her day-to-day life. She explains how it was like a computer shutting down and how the simplest of tasks became incredibly difficult. It is a truly eye-opening account. Hi, Audrey. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Um, I'm aware that not so long ago you suffered a mental and physical breakdown. Um, Perhaps you could explain to listeners uh, what happened um, and how that impacted uh, on your on your life. Okay, thanks, Sean. Um, Right. Okay. so so going back to 2012, um, I'd worked for my company um, for 14 years. I loved my job. Absolutely loved it. Um, and, and I'd got a good lifestyle, lovely husband, nice home. Um, we're on our second marriages and we both got on with the family, so we've got no problems whatsoever. Um, you know, we had some nice holidays, everything was fine. Um, I was quite fit and healthy. I used to go to the gym every morning. Um, and I absolutely loved it. So I loved keeping my body fit. Bear in mind at this at this time, how old was I? I should have worked this out before I started. Um, at sort of about 58 or 59, I think I was. Um, but yeah, I actually felt younger than... I felt younger than, than my years, mm. if you like. Um, and then in April 2012, um, yeah, I went to work one morning didn't have a particularly good start to the day. The day went from bad to worse. Um, by the time the end of the day came, I couldn't wait to get out of work. I got out of work, got in, well, got out through the door at work and just, just completely dissolved into tears. Got into my car, sat there for I don't know how long, but I just, I cried and I was crying from my boots. You know, I could not hmm. stop the tears. Um, Eventually, I got myself home, walked in through the door, and my husband had cooked dinner. And he he sort of came to the the door as I walked in, and I just said to him, I can't cope with this anymore. I can't can't do it anymore. And he said to me, what's the matter? But I couldn't talk to him. I was Mm. in such a dreadful state, I couldn't talk to him. So I just literally dropped everything, went upstairs, got into bed, fully clothed, yeah. and cried and then just slept and and I don't really know how long I slept for um obviously my husband was worried because he hadn't got a clue what on earth was going on um and received a few phone calls from my friends because I should have been going out that night mm. um and he didn't know what to say with them to them other than I was in bed and I wasn't very well um as the weekend went on I just slept during this time, my head was aching, and I'm talking banging, mm. a banging headache. I'd got all of these pains through my body, and I felt sick. You know, I, I just really, really felt sick. Mm. Um, I couldn't eat anything. I was drinking just sips of water. That was it. Mm. By the time the weekend was over, and I thought there's something terribly, terribly wrong here, mm. I thought... I was dying, basically. Mm. I thought there was some disease had hit me. That must have been um, scary. It, it was. It was It was very scary because I just hadn't got a clue what was going on other than just all I wanted to do was just stay in bed mm. and, and that was it and just sleep. That was all I could do. When I was awake, I just cried. So my husband rang into work on Monday and said that wouldn't be there. Um and he had to ring in every day for the for the week. And and eventually he said to me, I think you need to go to the doctors and because there's something very wrong here. Um so so I did. I went to the doctors. I mean, I just remember it was I had to literally drag myself. It's a five minute walk mm. and I felt like I was climbing Mount Everest. Mm. I didn't even want to get dressed. And I wanted to go as I was with my dressing gown on. Mm. He said to me, you can't do that. 
so I put some and I put some clothes on and and I, I got over there. I didn't even know what to say to the doctor because I couldn't explain how I felt mm. other than I felt dreadful. So the first thing he does was a, a blood test. Mm. And then he said to, to me, um, I think you're suffering with stress. So he, he did give me some antidepressants straight mm. away. Mm. And I thought, this, this can't be depression. It can't. You know, we all get down in the dumps. We all have our down days. Mm. And I really thought that depression was when you just felt a bit off for a few days. Mm. You might have a weepy moment, but then you just get over it. Mm. So I'd got no idea what depression was at all. Um, we, we'd, we'd actually got a week booked off uh, for a holiday. And Carl said, well, stop at home. And I did actually say to him, let's go, because maybe the sunshine will do me good. <clears throat> I've got no idea how I got there, uh, Sean. Carl just packed a few things in the case for me. Mm. I got in the car, slept from home to the airport, slept at the airport, got on the plane, slept on the plane, got to the um, apartment where we were staying and crawled into bed. And that was where I stayed all week. I was either in bed or on the, or he got a sun lounger on the balcony for me, um, and I just stayed on there. And so that was our holiday. And then we got back, and I got I got back in exactly the same way. I just got in the in the taxi, um, slept to the airport, <clears throat> got to the airport, slept until we were on the plane, um, and I I was just completely in oblivion. Got no idea what was going on. So when I, I came back home, walked in through the door again mm. and just got back into bed. I mean, the holiday didn't do me any good at all. Um, so so I was off from work again and, and I was like that for weeks and weeks. Then the occupational nurse at work rang Carl um, and said that she needed to speak to me. Mm. And he, he said to her, she can't, I don't know what you're going to say to her or what she's going to say to you. Because I can't get anything out of her. I don't know what's wrong with her. So she she made me an appointment and it was it, it was for weeks and weeks later. Um and I was still in this dreadful state. And and I wasn't eating anything, so the weight was actually falling off me. You know, I mean, I haven't got I've never had a lot of weight to lose anyway. Um, you know, but certainly in at, at that time I think I weighed about nine stone. Mm. And and I could just feel myself disappearing. I could feel the weight dropping off me, but I couldn't see anything because every time I put something into my mouth, I just wanted to. I, I just wanted to vomit, um, and it just didn't go down at all. So it it really did get from bad to worse. Mm. Um, I didn't know what was happening to me then, but hindsight's a wonderful thing. Mm. All I can say is I was a bit like uh, a computer that had crashed. Mm. So everything just shut down and switched off. My mm. brain switched off. The The other way that I've got of describing it is, if you can imagine um, a thousand pound jigsaw puzzle and somebody just upended it and just thrown it across the room mm. and, and all these bits and pieces were just scattered everywhere um I, I was frightened i was very frightened because i didn't know what was happening to me mm. and and you know my husband was pretty much the same he didn't know what was happening to me so i kept taking these tablets when i eventually got to see the occupational nurse mm. oh i mean that was that was just a nightmare getting in the car and going to work or going to the building. I mean, I, w I was just cowering. I was just cowering and I just really wanted to hide from the world. What I wanted was an invisibility cloak. I, I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to speak to anybody. I didn't want anybody to see me. Mm. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. Um, and I got in there with Carl and 
when when we got into the room and the nurse said to Carl, would you mind leaving the room? So he waited outside mm. uh, while she spoke to me. I mean, I just couldn't talk because when I was awake, I was crying. I was just crying. And it wasn't it wasn't a whippy sort of, oh, God, you know, I, I feel dreadful. It was, it was coming from my boots. It really was coming from my boots. Um, and, you... and after I finished talking to the nurse, she said to me, she said, you're not going to like what I'm going to say to you, but you've had a breakdown. She said, and it's going to be a long time before you get back to work. Um, and I said to her, I sure that it can't be a breakdown. I feel too ill. I just feel too ill. Mm. And she said, yeah, she said, you've had a breakdown. She said, and, I, and she said to me, I'm going to write a letter um, to HR. She said, and let them know that it's going to be a while before you come back to work. To be quite honest with you, I didn't really care what was happening mm. at work. Um, I'd always been really focused on my job, but at that point in time, I really didn't care. And and even though she'd sent, she said she was going to do this letter, it didn't really, it, it didn't take any pressure away from me. It didn't make me feel any better because I was just in a place where I didn't care. I just really didn't care. Um, and so, so... Off I went back home again, um, and various people from work did actually ring up, but Carl always took the call. I couldn't, I couldn't face seeing anybody. I couldn't face speaking to anybody. And all the time that this was happening, it was, it was getting from bad to worse because even just getting up and going to the toilets was exhausting. Getting up and brushing my teeth was exhausting. I'd brush my teeth and, I, and I'd have to sit down whilst I was doing it. And then as soon as I'd done clean my teeth, I had to get back into bed again. And then I'd sleep because I was so worn out from it. Um, there were times when God said to me, you know, why don't you come downstairs? Come downstairs, I'll make you a cup of tea, put a bit of TV on. Um, and I'd, I'd come downstairs, I couldn't even walk downstairs because everything was, everything was a blur. Everything was foggy. So to try and get down the stairs, how can I explain it? I couldn't see, I couldn't see the steps, mm. if that makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. So I, so I had to come down. I had to just go down the stairs on my bum. That was how I had to go down the stairs, just on my bum and hanging onto the rails. Because I, I always felt that I was going to stumble and fall. And I'd come and get downstairs and Carl would go to make me a cup of tea. And by the time he came back in, I was asleep. I'd just crashed on the sofa again. So he'd leave me to sleep and then... I, you know, when I woke up, and it was usually to just go to the toilet, I'd go to the toilet, I'm going back to bed, and I'd literally go up the stairs on all fours. But I couldn't even do that all, all in one go, sure. I had to stop three or four times and just sit on the stairs and rest. Mm -hmm. The exhaustion and the f fatigue was just, it was just horrendous. Mm -hmm. And honestly, and I, it, it kind of, it almost sounds like I'm making it up. But just the simple things just became very, very difficult. Incredibly, very difficult. incredibly debilitating by the sounds of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it, it, it was... We've got lots of mirrors in our house because we've only got a little house. So we've got mirrors everywhere to sort of reflect the light. And... I don't know whether you've um, seen or heard of that. There's a picture, and it's called the Scream, and that was, mm. yeah. Just if you if you have a look on Google or whatever, you'll see the picture. And it's it, basically that was how I felt. I felt like 
I can't cope. And I felt like some kind of a monster. Mm. And then when I looked in the mirror and caught a glimpse of myself, I, I saw this person that looked like me. Well, it wasn't me because that wasn't how I felt. Mm. That was not how I felt at all. So I found that quite frightening because I wasn't re I wasn't seeing a reflection of the person that I felt that I'd become. Yeah, so there was a difference between the reality and what was actually happening in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I'm just going to switch me switch on because my phone's gone low. I thought I'd done that. Um, yeah, I, I think. As you say, it was very, very debilitating, and and I felt, I felt like, a kind of, I felt like an empty shell. I felt like I'd lost my soul. Mm. I, I'd gone, and I just had, um, and just simple everyday tasks were were just everything's hard work hard work um when carl was trying to trying to um find out what it what how i felt i couldn't i couldn't explain to him how i felt because i was just so numb mm. i was just so numb and, and my mouth and my brain just didn't work together Sometimes if I try to string a sentence together, I'd come out with the completely the wrong words. It wasn't even that I couldn't think of ever a word, but I'd come out with completely the wrong words to try and describe how I felt. Mm. So I suppose to him, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. It certainly didn't make any sense to me. Um, and, and like I said, everything... It was just a blur. It was just a fog. It was like I'd got, I'd got this grey blanket that had been chucked over me, and it was just this blanket of depression. Mm. And it was, it really was quite horrifying. And and I remember I used to keep saying, I don't, I want to get better. Whatever's wrong with me, I want to get better. I don't want to live like this. Mm. I really don't want to live like this. Mm. And. Um... Yeah, before we, I do want to talk about how you kind of managed to, to get through it or at least manage that side of things. But before we do that, do you mind if we just hop back a little bit? Because I'm interested yeah. to know how it first occurred. Because it sounds like to me, from what you're talking about, there was no obvious trigger. There was no obvious uh, thought uh, that this was going to happen, that you were, it just kind no. of came out of the blue. Um, yeah. And you said, am I right? I think it happened at work. Is that correct? I think I think what happened at work that particular day mm. was the catalyst. Right. Um, and hindsight's a wonderful thing because, you know, I can, I can look back now mm. um, or, or once I started getting better, I can look back now and think the warning signs were there. Okay. Um, and and the warning signs were probably there for about six months, right. but as I say, at that point there was no trigger. But you know, I'd I'd be getting quite whippy for no reason at all, well, just a little bit whippy. Then it'd pass. Um, when I was going to the gym in the morning, I felt like I was dragging the world with me, even though I'd only got my gym bag with my clothes in it. I felt like I was dragging you know, the whole of my life and the whole world with me. Mm. Um, once I'd been to the gym and I'd go into work, I'd, I'd, I'd have had my shower, got myself dressed, put my makeup on, um, and then I'd be walking into work and, I, and it was like I was wading through mud. Yeah. But I just, I thought, I, I thought, I'm just getting too old for this. Mm. I'm getting too old for this. And the other thing that I thought was, maybe this is how you feel post-menopause, you know, I'd been through the menopause several years before, but I'd I'd heard stories um, of of you know some some friends and colleagues who'd been through it, and they still got the hot sweats. I didn't get those, 
I just thought this was like postmenopausal symptoms for me that, you know, um, yeah, I, I was just maybe, yeah, just getting too old. <laughs> I thought this is what happens when you get too old. Mm. So there, um, were, there were there were potentially triggers or warning signs, but they weren't entirely obvious at that at that time. They certainly weren't only, obvious. Enough. Only kind of in hindsight when you look back. So can you yeah. run through that day when you had the breakdown? How that day went from from for you? Um, I arrived at work. Um, I got a phone call from a customer, and mm. he'd got some problem or another with his order, and and um, and I'd, basically I said to him exactly the same as I always say to him. Um, or as I always say to them, leave it with me. I'll ring you back by mm. eleven o'clock. Mm. I, can't, I, I can't remember what the time scale was, but so that's hypothetical. I'll ring you back by eleven o'clock, whether I've got information or not. I'll ring you back. Mm. And then within a very short space of time, probably about half an hour or something, um, one of my colleagues actually turned round to me and she said to me, "Have you been speaking to?" Joe Bloggs from such a company and I said to her, I said, yeah, I have. And she said, oh, because he's just been on the phone. But then, at the same time, one of my other colleagues said, well, he's been on the phone to me as well. And I just lost it, Sean. I absolutely blew a gasket. And I said, what on earth is he playing at? You know, we're all here... This is a side now from what I'm saying. We're all here to do a job. Um... If one person in the in the team is dealing with something and two other people get involved, they aren't doing the job that they were doing before they got that phone call. They're now concentrating on trying to find out what's happening with this man's order and why it's gone wrong. Mm. Um, so three of us were involved in this, which to me is just a complete and utter waste of company time when one person can do it. So, yeah, I blew a gasket. I rang the customer and I shouted at him and I and I swore at him. And, I mean, on the other end of the phone, he was just saying, oh, I think I've just had my me, me bottom smacked, always that effect, he says. And I said to him, I promise you I will ring you back. So just leave it with me. Don't phone up again. I'll ring you back. So that was kind of the start of it. Mm. By then, I'd got myself in such a state, which didn't happen. You know, I mean, you know, I was always quite calm and dealing with things at work. So it was completely out of um, character. Yeah, yeah. When you're at work, you're professional, aren't you? Mm. You don't go and blow a gasket mm. and you certainly don't have a go at the customers yeah, and, yeah. and swear at them when they're the ones paying your wages. Yeah. Um Oh, and then as the day went on, a couple of other things had gone wrong. And, yeah, by the time I actually got out that night, it was like, God, I can't cope with this anymore. But again, you know, going back to the warning signs, um, I had started making mistakes, silly little mistakes, and just causing myself extra work, really, by having to correct them. But, yeah... Everybody made mistakes, so I didn't really think anything about it. But again, that was probably one of the warning signs that I was overdoing everything in my life. Um, and it wasn't just the job. I mean, on, on days off, we used to go out and we used to go walking with ramblers. Every fortnight, we used to go up to my mum's for the weekend, finish work on a Friday, get packed up, go up there Friday night or Saturday morning, come back Sunday, off to work again on Monday you know, because my mum was sort of getting on in years. So basically, I never had a minute, really. I just didn't, and I didn't give myself a minute. You know, when I'd got some spare time, I wanted to fill it with things that that I wanted to do, and I certainly didn't want to be sat in the house doing nothing. Mm. Um, so would you say in hindsight, potentially there's things that could have happened in your life that might have prevented the breakdown, or do you think it was almost inevitable? I think it was inevitable. I think it was inevitable. And, do you know, I think if somebody had have actually said to me, um, I think you need to slow down, 
you know, I think you need to take it easy. Um, I can see that you're getting stressed. I'd have just poo-pooed it. Mm. I'd have said, what a load of rubbish. And the funny thing is, just in, I suppose, the last three years, um, I have actually seen a couple of other people and I've thought, you're on the edge of a breakdown, love. Mm. You're on the edge of a breakdown. And one of them, she she did actually go off sick. She was she was working at the time. She did actually go off sick. Um, hers was was for a couple of months. Um, I mean, mine was sixteen months, but she did actually go off work. But you can't say something to anybody because you don't know how they're going to react, how they're going to respond. Yeah. And it is difficult. You know, it, it's almost like saying to an alcoholic, "I think you're drinking too much." Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like. You know, I can control my drinking. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, I, even if somebody had said to me, I, I, I think you're under a lot of stress and I think you need to take it easy, I'd have been saying, what a load of rubbish. Yeah, so this is have, me you're talking to. Yeah. I'm a northern girl, I'm a tough old boots. <laughs> so it probably wouldn't have had a much of an impact and in that no. sense, probably no. would have would have happened anyway. So... Moving forward from that, because you've been extremely open and honest about how, the, how it's impacted on your life, there's just a couple of things that I found uh, really interesting in your conversation. It, it, obviously, it was extremely stressful, difficult situation for you, and you've gone into a lot of detail there. How do you feel? Do you feel as though you were supported with, by your family and friends and uh, by your work? Um, I was very, very well supported by work. Um, very lucky. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether that was because I was in the pension scheme and unbeknown to me, that also gave me um, long-term sickness um, or disability insurance. I didn't know that. I mean, you know, that's that was that was kind of a. a I don't know whether it was a shock or a surprise, really, because that's how naive I was. It was like, oh, yeah, I'll join the company pension and then paid me money every month. And um, But, yeah, I did get the, the the insurance, so I did get the, the help from them. The company had got a counselling service anyway that anybody could ring. Um, so so I, I did use that counselling service. Um, the insurance company actually... Um, found um, a cognitive behavioural therapist, mm-hmm. CBT. So I had CBT for about 12 months. Okay. And I was still, I was still having the CBT when I did my phased return to work. How did you find uh, that? Oh, and I found that excellent. Because being, being the person that I am, I wanted to just, I wanted to just wake up and get better. I just wanted to get get better. If you have a cold, you have it for three or four days. If you have the flu, you have it for 10 to 14 days, and then you know that you're going to get better. And suddenly one morning you wake up and you think, oh, I feel all right now, I can go again. Mm. And that was that was how I wanted to be. But it wasn't going to happen. I was broken, Sean, completely broken. Mm. Um, and, and what he taught me was to do everything in little steps everything had to be baby steps now the one example i can give you because it took me months and months i couldn't drive my car um and and this is when i was getting much much better um i went to get into my car and when i started the car i I just fell apart it just I, i just reverted right back to how I'd been months before. And I came back in and and my husband, he just knows, he knows even now, he can look at me and he'll say to me, I think you need to have a rest. Mm. I think you've overdone it. I think you need to have a rest. So, so I, just my skin tone, the look on my face, my body language, and he, he just said, come on, lie down, I'll get you a cup of tea. And, you know, by the time I could talk about it, I'd say to him, I, got, I just got in the car and that was it, I fell apart. So what the, what the 
behavioural, uh, cognitive behavioural behavioral therapist says, um, his name was Mia, Mia Stolia, and he said, um, he said, just go to the door and look at your car. Look at your car, because I can see, see it from where my door is, and, and then you go back in the house. And then the next time, when you feel comfortable, you go up the steps, of, you know, to the garden, three steps, and you stand there and you look at your car. And then you walk to your car. And you don't get any, you just walk to your car. And then unlock the door. And then go back in, indoors again. So it was tiny little steps. Really, it was slow. And what, what was slow. it about going into your car that scared you? Oh, it, 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 was, it was not just my car. It was everything. Oh, okay. Just trying to get out through the door. Right. Trying to get out through the door and go over that threshold. Yeah. I was just terrified that I was going to fall back into that black hole. Mm. When when I was at my worst and I was either on the sofa and or in my bed, the, I mean, the weather was beautiful that year, although I don't remember it very much because I didn't see it. And Carl used to say to me, why don't you come and sit in the garden? The sun will do you good. I, cu- I couldn't go and sit out in the garden. I felt too vulnerable in this big wide open space. I felt like I was going to get swallowed up and, and dragged back into this black hole again. Mm. Um, and I was, I was just frightened. Mm. I was frightened because I'd kind of started coming out of this black hole. So anything that caused me this panic or anxiety, um, as Mia said, I started using avoidance techniques. Um, so by not doing something, I was avoiding that anxiety and that panic. And, and, you know, when that anxiety and panic used to kick in again, it was like I was going right back to square one again because I'd get, I'd get pains in my head and it was, um, it, it was like bad electric shocks that I used to get in my head. And I'd, and I'd be sitting there and I'd be holding my head and be like, God, I just want these pains to go away. And then I'd get the headache and then I'd start feeling sick and then the sweats. And and my torso used to be just wet with sweats, you know. And there was nothing I could do about it. It was like I'd completely lost all control of my body, you know. And, and yeah, it was. It was frightening. I had all the... I, I had horrible dark thoughts. Um, but again, that's that's something that you know the CBT taught me. What dark thoughts was, did you have? Oh, it was. I, I I don't want to say it. I've never ever said anything to anybody out loud about about you know what I was going what what these dark thoughts were telling me to do because mm. I think if they come out of my mouth mm. and I get those dark thoughts again, it's going to make me do it. So I. Okay. But I've got very dark thoughts. Okay. And and the CBT taught me, because I used to, I'm not going to swear on here, but any swear words that you can think of. So, you, you know, I'll say, go away. But I used to, like, shout at it. And I used to say, just go away, leave me alone. But I used to, because it was there, it was there, and it was telling me to go and do this. Mm. And I used to have to go and get in my bed and get under my duvet and just hide away from it mm. and just swear at it and tell it to go away. Um, so that, because otherwise I felt like I was being drawn into doing something mm. that I really didn't want to do. You know, I've got my mum, I've got a, a husband, children. I, uh, how can I explain it? I wasn't keen on living right then. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to die either. Mm. Um, so what what CBT taught me was when I got these dark thoughts and I'd got this this thing there yeah. to just say to it, I know you're there, and you can stay with me, but I don't want you to mis- misbehave. Just be good and don't misbehave. Sorry. And that yeah. that was hard. That was hard because it was there. This bloody gremlin thing was there, 
and and I used to be saying to it, just go away, go. And I, and I used to think, no, it's all right, you can stay with me. Mm. But, so part of CBT was learning to live with your feelings and emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and learning how to deal with it, how to manage it, yeah. and, and how to understand how to deal with it. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, eventually um, that, that, that gremlin went away. Um, I don't get those. I don't get those dark thoughts anymore. I still, I still have my foggy moments, and um, when I overdo it, um, these foggy moments come back, and I and I kind of hit this brick wall again. Mm. Um, but I kind of know now, and and certainly Carl knows. Um, you know, just to take it easy and, and have rest. And sometimes, I can just shut my eyes and sleep for 10 minutes and go out solid and then I wake up and all of a sudden I'm absolutely fine again. Sometimes mm-hmm. it'll take me a day or more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I really so, did want the wheel off and I, uh, let me get off. I've had enough of this now. So Everything sleeps, was very good. Yeah, those sleeps give you almost like a reboot of energy. Yeah, but it... It only used to last for about five minutes. Right, right, okay. <laughs> um, now it lasts for probably you know a, a few days or a few weeks, yeah, and yeah. and I can go, I can go for months now, and and be absolutely fine. Mm. But yeah, the uh, that was another thing that he taught me because I used to, I come from a family of people who who only sleep when you know it's like between ten and six in the morning, mm. um, and and I used to say to him, I just I just want to sleep all the time. And he used to say to me, that's your reward for working hard. And I said, but all I did was got up and clean my teeth. And he'd say, yeah, but you worked hard. And and the more you think about these things, the more it makes sense. Because it was difficult for me to do this because I was so exhausted. Just getting up and cleaning my teeth was like doing a hard day's work. Yeah, it the really simplest was. tasks so, were incredibly so, difficult. So sleeping, <laughs> sleeping after cleaning my teeth was my reward for working hard, mm. and it takes a long time to get you get your head around it. Mm. But you know, I mean, there was there was a few things. I mean, the occupational nurse at work, because my original one she left, and I got another one, and but the other one that came along, um, she was just absolutely superb. Mm. Absolutely superb. I couldn't wish her anything better. Um, you know, I, I've got a handful of friends, um, you know, one of them, who stuck with me. And, you know, they, they send me a text or they send a photo or, or, or the drink call, but send me a text. I, I didn't even bother answering them most of the time because I just couldn't. Mm. I just couldn't. And I couldn't face... I couldn't face the world or anybody in it. Um it took a long time for me to admit to my family what had happened to me because um, obviously I didn't go up there because we had to travel um, and that, that was something very difficult to do. So, um, but eventually, you know, I, I did I did tell them what was wrong. I just made, well, I say I made excuses, Carl made the excuses really, um, you know, for not going up there. Mm. Um, and yeah, well, it, it was it was hard. I didn't. I didn't. I just didn't care. I just really didn't care. Mm. You know, once I got over that that sort of embarrassment and that shame, um, I, I just kind of thought more people didn't need to know about this really. Mm. And, and certainly, by the time I went back to work, you know, although I couldn't speak to anybody straight away. Because um, going into work turned me into a bit of nervous wreck, really. Even though it was just for an hour each morning, that was my phased return. I think I did three mornings a week for one hour. Got into work, sat with with my colleague, and then came out again. And by the time I'd done that, I was completely exhausted. Mm. So it, it took me, I think it was about six months, really, to get back to almost full time work. Mm. I'd done myself a nice little timetable. And the nurse just said to me, I think that's too much. And, I, and she said, this is what I'm going to recommend. And she actually did the recommendations for my phased return, which was just, you know, 
and now we're for, I think it was two or three mornings for the first couple of weeks and then to just gradually sort of increase it hour on hour um, but I mean when I got back to work I think the, the shocking thing was that you know sitting with my colleague and having a headset on and listening to the calls um, done this job for I think 14 years and I'd, I'd forgotten some of the products mm. you know we we got a, a product called Marine and, and I remember saying to her I don't, I don't know what he's talking about, what's marine? And and she she was really, all of them were really good. She just sat there and explained to me, oh, that's the, the flooring that goes in the bathroom, remember, and this is what it looks like, and getting the samples out for me and mm. and showing all of it. So your colleagues yeah. were very supportive then? Oh, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And there's one person that you mentioned a lot through all of this, and it sounds, from what you're explaining, that he was... And you'll tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like he was absolutely incredible through all of this, and that's your other half, Carl. He was, absolutely, yeah. Hang on. And, I, yeah, I don't know if I'd be without him. The importance of a good support network in, when you're going through something like that is uh, absolutely invaluable. Um, because it sounds like he was understanding and empathetic from almost the beginning all the way through the situation and probably beyond. I think I think one of the things that he did particularly well, and this might sound odd, but the one thing he did particularly well was nothing. Hmm. Um because I didn't know what I needed. I couldn't tell him what I needed. I certainly didn't want anybody to be telling me that I should be doing this, I should be doing that, and I should be eating this, or I should be drinking that. Um, so he just let me be mm. as I was. Makes sense. And... So when I was sleeping for almost 24 hours a day, mm. then he just knew that was what I needed. Mm. And, you know, when I have these moments now, Sean, um, and I had one just a few weeks ago, um, and I think I went to bed on Saturday night, um, and it was probably about six or seven o'clock. I slept all night. I woke up at about five or six in the morning, came downstairs. And in my head, I was going to do this, this and this. And within about an hour, I was asleep again. And I and I was asleep on the on the sofa. I didn't bother getting dressed. Um, and and I just slept all day on, on the sofa. Kept waking up every now and again and having a look mm. at the TV and then going off back to sleep again. Then I went back to bed at night and, and slept again all night so all in all I'd probably as you know getting on for I don't know like 24 26 hours sleep or mm. something probably a little bit more and I said to him good I'm doing sleeping my life away at the moment and he just said to me but you need it but you need it mm. he said you wouldn't be sleeping if you didn't need it mm. but again I mean on that occasion there was no rhyme or reason for it so, uh, I don't know and I've just um, what a uh, yeah. what I, st a I still have those I still have those little moments. Yeah, and that's and understandable. I can't, and I can't put a trigger on it. Mm. And and I I just think sometimes it's just because I do overdo it a little bit, mm. um, and don't realise that I'm doing it, and then all of a sudden it catches up with me again, and it's my body just saying, "Well, I've had enough of this now," mm. and I can't really do anything because. I can't fight it because it's like all my it's like the, the plug's being pulled out and and all the energy's drained away from mm. me again. And I, I guess but, that, I guess you perhaps in a position where a you're able to understand when something's not quite right better, yeah. and also from what you've said, the skills you learnt through the CBT, I suppose you just carry on using them in your everyday life, pretty much. Yeah, 
Absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, I went to see a psychiatrist. I didn't find the psychiatrist particularly helpful because all he did was ask me a few questions, got me to fill in a form, and gave me this um, this um, um, what's called this. It was supposed to stop the anxiety and the depression, and not the anxiety, the anxiety and the panic. Hmm. And this tablet was called pregabalin. And I was taking it for about a week. And then one one day, um, and I'd been asleep for most of the Saturday. Again, this is going back years ago. And and I'd been asleep for most of the day. And when I woke up, Carl said to me, he said, are you going to have something to eat now? And I said, I don't really feel like anything to eat. And he said, well, just just try a little bit, just a couple of mouthfuls. And I said, okay, then. And I, and I was sat there and I said to him, I think I'm dying. And he said, what do you mean you think you're dying? I said to him, I said, I think my body was shutting down. And I did, I felt like the whole of my body was shutting down. And then I, then I started getting really cold, but, but inside I was on fire. I'd got, a, I'd got the devil inside me and he'd let this fire and I was burning inside. Anyway, he called paramedics. The paramedics came out, did all these usual tests, and everything had skyrocketed. You know, my blood pressure, my heart rate, everything skyrocketed up. Um, and and I, I was walking around because I didn't dare sit down because I thought, if I sit down, I'm going to die. And I think the paramedics were here for about two hours. And, and in the end, they said to me, do you want to go to the hospital so we can get you checked over properly again? And I said, no, no, I'm not going to the hospital because if I'm going to die tonight, I want to be here with Carl. I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be here with Carl. And anyway, to cut a long story short, we went to bed. I had to sleep with the door the, the door open, the windows open, the curtains open. And Carl was saying to me, do we really have to sleep? And I said to him, you can't shut the windows, you can't shut the curtains. Because I felt like my bedroom, which had been my sanctuary, it almost it was almost becoming a coffin if everywhere was shut up. We all like to we all like to sleep, don't we, with the curtains shut and the doors mm. shut. And it's like no, because it feels like a coffin. I can't cope with it. And I had to sleep with the doors and the window and the curtains open for weeks and weeks. I'd got an appointment with my nurse on on the following Tuesday and and I was still feeling dreadful. I, I could not bring a sentence together. I'd gone right back to, to square one. And when the nurse saw me, she just took one look at me and before I even spoke, she went, oh my God, what on earth happened? And and I started explaining to her what had happened. And and Carl was with me. He got he got one of our MD she got one of our MDs in, because one of our MDs was a psychotherapist. And at one point I'd actually asked her to treat me and she said, I can't because it's a conflict of interest. Mm. But she came and she listened to what I said about the um, this this attack, this this thing that I'd, I thought I was dying. And at the end of it, and she said to me, that was a panic attack. And I said, but I have panic attacks all the time. I've never had anything like this. She said, trust me, it was a panic attack. She said, some people get these kind of panic attacks three or four times a day. And I thought, oh, God, how awful. And the nurse actually phoned the doctor and told him what had happened, told him about the pregabalin that had been described, and he just said, stop taking it straight away. So I, I stopped taking that straight away. But then it took, I suppose it took a couple of weeks to get out of my system. So I was still, <laughs> I was still really cranky. And honestly, mm. I, I couldn't, that just made me even worse. It made me even worse. Mm. I, I, I really had gone to the loony bin by then. I, I just had it. So I really did have to slip that off all over again. Mm. So just when I was starting to feel something like a little bit better, the jigsaw pieces were little bit by little bit were coming. That set you back a bit. Back yeah, it did set me back. Mm. It, did, it set me right back. Um yeah, so that's a, that's another story. But, yeah, I mean, the other thing that, that happened to me, you know, getting to the simple tasks. Um, when um, I remember Carl saying to me one day, 
do you fancy a cup of tea? And I said to her, yeah. And, I, and then I said to her, I said, it's all right. I said, I'll do it. And I trotted off to the kitchen. And he came in a bit later on. And he said to me, I thought he was making a cup of tea. And I was just stood in front of the, I was just stood in the middle of the kitchen. And I says, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. And he talked me through how to make a cup of tea. So it was put the water in the kettle, switch the kettle on, tea bags are in the cupboard. I'd, I'd just forgotten, completely forgotten how to do it. How did, that make, say, how did that make you feel when you, you, did, you know, what is a pretty simple task was almost impossible for you? That must have its own negative emotions as well. It upset me dreadfully. Mm. It upset me that I couldn't, I couldn't just do the normal, everyday, mm. simple little jobs. Mm. I did. I just, and uh, I mean, getting back to Carl again, he said to him, it's all right, it'll come back to you. It'll come back to you. And, you know, and, and, I mean, something I've read since is a classic is the, the, the vacuum in the living room. Um, So when I, when I, when I was on one of my energetic moments, because sometimes I think, oh, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to vacuum the carpet. It needs a bit of a vacuum. And I'd get the vacuum cleaner out and I'd get it plugged in. And that was it. I was exhausted. So the vacuum cleaner would sit, be sitting there in the lounge. And Carl, Carl would say to him, what are you doing now? I'd say to him, well, I was going to vacuum the carpet, but I'm too tired. Mm. And he'd say, oh, we'll leave it then. You don't really need doing anyway. It's all right. It'll wait for another day. Mm. And the vacuum cleaner would go away and then I'd be asleep on the sofa. And it's... It, it's all these really strange things that, I mean, honestly, God, God, honestly, Sean, you wouldn't make it up, would you? No. You wouldn't make it up because you think, you, you know, you think of of having a breakdown as somebody is going completely loopy. And I did go loopy, but in a very quiet way, I suppose. Mm. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't screaming and shouting. I didn't go that way at all. I was just very, very subdued um, and pretty useless, really. Yeah, I think I think a lot of this also shows the importance of having the right support network around you um, and support yeah. from work and having that CBT. So, Audrey, before we get to a point where we we start to wrap up, what I'm really interested to know now is mentally, where are you? Where are you at at this current time? Are you in a much better place? How how long? How long did it take you to recover and where are you at now? Right, it took me, um, I went back to work, I was off from work for 16 months. Mm. Um, and like I said, I was probably having CBT for, I don't know, maybe somewhere between 9 and 12 months before I actually went back to work. And that, that did help immensely. Um, and, and I did learn, learn a couple of new skills and believe it or not, I actually found it easier to learn new skills than to relearn what I'd forgotten. Because mm. um, I'd, I'd forgotten how to read. I couldn't put words together. Um, and 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 I used to, I, I used to read Michael Moore Pergo. That was, that was the books that I started trying to read because I thought these, these books are written for 11 to 13 year olds, I think, if I remember right. Um, but I'd, I'd see a word, and I couldn't, I couldn't work out what the word said. And it, it'd be something like the, or what, because to me, what was reading were hat, um, and then another word was choice. And when I said to him, "What does, what does this word say?" and he'd say, "It says choice." And I'd say, but "What does choice mean?" Mm. So I lost all that ability. But then I had some one-to-one knitting lessons. And believe it or not, I learned to knit. Wow. And I actually found that easier than trying to... I found it easier to read a knitting pattern, which is all done in cones, than what it was to read words and read a book. The other thing that I learned to do, and this was on the recommendation of the nurse, and that's Sudoku. Okay. And Sudoku is still my go-to. Mm. It's, it, how can I explain it? When I'm doing Sudoku, 
it, my brain focuses on that mm. and I don't think anything about anything else at all and it puts everything back into place again. I can understand that. So yeah. if, my, if my brain is feeling a bit scrambles and I can't, I, I can't think or I can't understand, um, then I can do Sudoku and it kind of, it, it kind of brings me back down and calms me down. The meditation CDs. One of my friends, she gave, she she actually did some meditation CDs for me, um, and I still use those. Getting back to the question that you asked, um, where am I now? I would say that I'm ninety five percent better. Mm-hmm. It, it's never ever going to go away, no. and um, and I've just accepted that this is this is how it is. I'm going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. I still take um, a mild um, antidepressant. Mm. I did try to come off it once. Um, that was a mistake. Uh, I, I sort of weaned myself off it. Um, are we running out of time? Um, I weaned myself off it. And after about six weeks, I, I was going down into that black hole and getting very weepy again. And I spoke to my sister-in-law, who is a nurse, but not this kind of nurse. And and she said, that sounds about right. She said it takes about six weeks, even though we wean myself off it slowly. So I just she said, just go back on it again. Just start taking it again as you were before. And within a couple of weeks, I felt, felt fine again. Mm. But yeah, it's if I overdo it, Sean, that's what it is. Mm. If I overdo it physically or if I overdo it mentally, mm. you know, or if, if I get pulled and tugged at, you know what family's like sometimes. I get pulled and tugged at sometimes. I can definitely, um, uh, definitely understand that. I, I, you, you've been so candid and open, and I feel like we could carry on talking about this for a long time because it's been, honestly, it's been truly fascinating. The segments only last up to to sixty minutes, and we've we've got right. to a point where there's uh, three or three or four minutes left. So the final thing I wanted to oh, ask okay. you, Audrey, just to give a quick summary, is if what would you say to anyone who's struggling mentally, but in particular anyone who thinks they might be on the edge of a breakdown? What would you say to some anyone listening who who's may resonate with some of what you said today? I would say, listen to your body. We don't do that enough. Mm. Listen to your body. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, sleep's great, isn't it? But sometimes we can't do it on our own. Mm. We, we just can't do it on our own. Listen to your body. And if you think something is not right, then speak to somebody. Mm. And, you know, we'd got a company at work called ICAS. Mm. And a bit like Samaritans, they were, you know... Um, a listening company so i think sometimes if you can just talk things through Mm -hmm. um it 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 kind of gets it out of your head but then it make it starts making sense to you Mm. and that's one of the things that me and carl do now Mm. you know i mean uh if uh, sometimes i say to him i just just need to talk to you Mm. and and by the time i finish what i've said finish what's on my mind and and I'll say to him, I don't need to say anything now because I've got it all worked out. I know what to do now. So, the, so sometimes yeah. talking to somebody will unscramble your brain and mm. you'll work out yourself what it is that you need to do. Communication is key, and listening to your body—that those are really useful tips. And like I yeah. said, like we like most people who come on the on these shows say, is the truth of the matter is it's good to talk, um, and we need yeah. to open up about these things more. Um, yeah. That has been really, really, really interesting, Audrey. And thank you mm. so much for being so open and honest. Um, I think people are going to find this a really fascinating listen. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you very much. And yeah. uh, I just want to say while I'm on here, just in case anybody hears it, you know, I, I, I've got a, I haven't got a million friends. I've got a good handful of friends. They know who they are. And honestly, those friends did not desert me. You know, and, and they stuck with me. And, yeah, they, they've been absolutely fantastic. You know, and we're, we're, still, we're still friends now. Um, and, yeah, it's... I love them for it. Mm. I, I do. And, yeah. and as I say, you know, Carl has been my rock. Mm. I, I don't know where I would be without him. No, I could hear, um, I could hear that from the, the almost the yeah. start of this conversation. So, 
the message is open up your friends will your friends will support you especially ones yeah. who really care so again yeah. thank you very much audrey i really appreciate yeah. it and thank you for coming on uh today's yeah. episode yeah but i'll say to anybody else who's not going through it if, if you think that somebody else is going through it and you know you're getting ignored don't don't ignore that person don't give up on them mm. because it could be that they've got a problem and they just don't realize they've got a problem or they're too embarrassed or too ashamed to talk about it um but yeah just just you know don't give up on somebody because I'm, I'm living proof that you can actually get over it mm-hmm. uh, you know and i was in a very very bad place and like you say sean we can go on talking forever and <laughs> ever in a day you know um so, so that's a very but, good thing to end on thank you audrey i really appreciate you're welcome it.